0: Welcome back to Plenary Session. In today's episode, we have an on-the-road edition. I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I talked to Leslie Beenan from PSU-OHSU School of Public Health. And you're going to like this discussion. We cover a lot of fascinating topics, both about COVID-19 and the broader culture of the academy, of scientific publication, and about the broader culture at this moment. But before I get to the interview, I got to do some housekeeping because I've been getting so many different emails and people have lots of questions. So here are my tips. One question I frequently get, do you have a video of this for, say, for instance, John Yoniti's lecture that people may have heard on this podcast? And the answer is, go to YouTube. If you're looking for the visual of something I'm talking about, go to YouTube because some of these interviews are being put out as videos. Some of them have screenshots and the John Yoniti's lecture is available on YouTube as a video so you can see what he's talking about. Um, That's the first place I would look. The next thing, where can you get more content? Well, the places I would refer you to are number one. I don't know if I've made a plug for this on this show yet, but the VPZD show. The VPZD show is a weekly news show. It's all you need to know in medical news. And it's where Zubindemania and I discuss the week's issues from healthcare policy, COVID-19. It's a lively discussion. Hopefully you have a laugh. That's that podcast. It's very popular. Go check it out if you haven't checked it out already. The other place I'll refer you to is Substack. I have really enjoyed Substack. It's a good place to write. And uh, I have a Substack, Vinay Prasad, Observations and Thoughts. And you should subscribe and check it out. Um, You can get free emails. uh, You can be a paying subscriber, whatever you prefer. And ultimately, I think all of the content is transitioned to be outside of a paywall, so you should be able to see it. The other thing, we're still backed on Patreon. You can go there, but if you prefer to do it on Substack, I don't blame you. It's sort of an easier interface for me too, so you could do that instead. I think that's it. Those are the updates. And Plenary Session Podcast at gmail.com. Email us. And then the website. I've been meaning to make a plug for this. Logan Powell has been Writing show notes to every single episode. They're still up there. They're up there all the time. The website is an incredible resource for anyone thinking about whatever we're talking about in the show, particularly the clinical trials. Go check it out. You can search the back catalog and see what we said about all sorts of trials. And I think uh, I think that's it. I think that's that's what's going on these days. So, hope you enjoy the podcast. If you do, like recommend it to other people. Leave a, leave a review on your on your podcast app. That helps a great deal. And maybe make a direct referral. Recommend it to somebody. And uh, let me know if you have any questions. Send me a note at the, at the show's website or on the contact me page of, of my website. So until next time, you're in for a real treat. This is a great discussion. I think you'll enjoy it. I'm back in plenary session, real life edition, and I'm joined by friend of the show, Dr. Leslie Beenan. Dr. Bean is a faculty member at the PSU-OHSU School of Public Health. She is a prolific commenter during the COVID-19 pandemic, and she's been on the show before, many episodes back, where we talked about COVID-19 policy. Well, we're back in real life talking about all the latest news. Dr. Beanan, it's good to see you.
1: Hi, thanks, Vinay.
0: So, what did we want to get started with? School closure. You know, I thought school (sighs) closure was this thing that was 2020s fantasy, but it continued into the fall of twenty twenty. And spring. And spring. Here. Here. Long after everyone should have known better. I see um, David Leonhardt has a piece this morning talking about how it was a terrible error, which many of us knew at the time. And he even, but he acknowledged that, well, maybe it helped teachers. He had some addendum. But Mm. but we actually do have data from the UK showing it didn't slow the spread in teachers. There wasn't an occupational risk. But now we still have school closure. 2022 in Portland, Oregon. What's going on?
1: so a few schools here in more in the suburbs i would say not portland public Mm um went remote for i believe a week last week and i think one closed this week um because of quote cases i don't believe anyone was hospitalized but of course i I don't really know Mm -hmm. but i didn't hear that it wasn't covered in the news as such and for example, a middle school in um Tualatin Tigard. I think they said they had like 10 or 12 cases in the school.
0: So they closed as a result.
1: They went online, oh, mm-hmm. online. for the week. Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
0: so- and
1: this did not raise a big flap in like our newspapers or anything, you know. I I tweeted it and tagged the Oregonian um All the editors there, I know, and all the writers and the editor in chief, and I didn't see anything about it. People are
0: indifferent to it. People
1: are totally indifferent. We're just totally inured, I think.
0: We've gotten used to school closure as a tactic. And, you know, some people say that we shouldn't call it school closure, we should call it remote learning. But remote learning is obviously garbage. It doesn't work. So that's why it's called school closure. Yeah.
1: And for a lot of kids, it truly is just an absence. I mean, if you don't have a parent at home or you're too young to log on in any meaningful way. And I would question even if you do everything right that you're getting the content. But let's just say you could do everything by the book. you're you know old enough to pay attention, you're on your computer, et cetera, the content is still does not reach you in the same way. But for everyone younger or who you know maybe has a learning issue or is just playing video games all day because someone's watching, it's clearly just the equivalent of an absence or
0: worse. Remote learning is like dropping a hammer on your toe. You know it's a misery when it's going on. <laughs> you know it's you know it's going to yeah. do damage on the X-ray. You see the X-ray. You just get more data. I mean, I don't know how anyone could pretend that it's actually. And now we have, of course, many many studies that document tremendous learning shortfalls. So why don't people care about it? That's the question. Is it because it's smaller school district? It's not the name brand Portland Public. Yeah, or it would DC? get more attention yeah.
1: if it were Portland Public for sure. Um, the districts I am aware of, so Corbett, which I don't, I know you used to live around here, but Corbett's like out in the gorge a little bit. Okay. Um, TTSD, which is in the suburbs and there was one other one. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm honestly just completely baffled and I wrote a piece, um, in the wall street journal. I gave it the title, um, when remote school is a hammer, everything is a nail. Yes, I remember But they, remember they this. changed the title. I yeah, um, And I stole that from... And this was a long time. This was like Floyd. eight months ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, way back. When they started closing for behavior. Right. Remember that? yes. Yeah, so <coughs> a bunch of Portland schools closed because of, quote, behavior issues. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, so you but I've closed read that- schools yeah. for a year, and now everybody's, like, off the rails, Correct. and they're closing schools because the kids are off the rails. So later some of the teachers said that they didn't feel safe in the classroom because of the behaviors. And I completely unsympathetic. Like you cannot have people feeling that they're not safe in their classrooms. Sure. So that's a huge issue. I still question that closing school is the way to go. Like I feel like at that point and I tried to make this case in the press and wherever, but like why doesn't the governor call in the National Guard then? Put people in those classrooms. Or something. Do something else. I don't. I don't know what. I'm not the you know superintendent of education. Correct. She is.
0: But closure is not the solution to the problem. Closure is
1: not the solution, and it probably made it worse. It probably it, made it worse. It, I, mean, I mean, in fact, I mean, the
0: behavioral issues is probably people acting out. The downstream consequences exactly. of closure, exactly. and uh, and then yeah. closing again is just going to lead to more behavioral yeah. issues when you yeah. open up again.
1: And also telling a bunch of 13 and 14-year-olds that when they act badly, school will be closed.
0: That's an incentive to act badly.
1: Incentive to act badly. Like, have these people ever met a middle schooler? I mean, why would you... It's like when the kid throws a tantrum, do you say, here's more candy? You say your tantrum's not going to produce candy.
0: The claim that I don't feel safe, though, is become, you know... If somebody said that to me in the 1980s, I would say, oh my god, these kids are really doing something to hear a teacher say I don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, you know, if somebody says that to me in 2022, I don't know what they mean. Do they mean they don't feel safe because somebody said... An idea they don't like, yeah. that there's no evidence for masking toddlers. I don't feel safe. <laughs> I don't feel safe when I hear that idea. You know, because that's what people have done. They've devalued yeah, what it means to, to feel navigate. safe. So mm-hmm. I don't know, that's do they the not right feel point. safe because the kids are bringing in a knife or yeah. threatening each other yeah. or threatening the teacher? I, I do
1: think there was quite a bit of that, but I, I, I don't know. But You're it could right. also be, you know, right. something
0: milder that they were yeah. just, they're just talking back. You know, right. you know, yeah, I don't care about this or something. Just shouting right. back. I mean, does is that yeah. really a question of safe? I mean, so it's so subjective, and
1: mm-hmm. I mean, I well, but it's sad that we don't know what the word safe means anymore. Correct, that's it's a, lost its meaning, a like a, lot, yeah. of things, like I've a lost, lot of things. Like a lot yeah. of things. So, and I, I one teacher privately messaged me and said, you know, kids were like throwing chairs, and I mean, it, it, at least in her classroom, it did sound not good. Um, but like, I, I do think there's other solutions, um, and she. Um, There's a problem, which is that the schools have moved away from discipline very far. You know, like the teachers aren't allowed to really discipline kids anymore in a lot of districts, so they feel very helpless, which, you know, some of that I'm sure was a good transition. Like, obviously, you don't want teachers grabbing kids and stuff, but I think the schools are kind of left with nothing now. Mm -hmm. It's very, very hard you know, they're, they're putting the staff in a pretty difficult position. And some of the staff have said that, you know, talked about that a lot. I mean, these are
0: legitimate concerns, but I guess the point you'll keep coming back to is that all of the ways to address them, the one thing that doesn't work is to close the school. Yeah, It's like the way, the one thing that doesn't work to treat cancer is just to put your head in the sand and don't think about it. Don't do anything. That's not a good treatment for cancer. Right. So it's, it's that kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. But I guess Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I suspect, um, You know, I guess obviously one reason is these are smaller school districts that are closing in 2022, but they are closing for COVID cases, not...
1: Right, yes. But
0: to be honest, you know, I'll even push it, you know, at some point, you know, I think there was a well-intentioned effort to say we should not use cases to determine when to keep schools open and closed. Agree. Um, Should we even use hospitalizations? Let's be honest, because at this point in the pandemic, we have zero prevalence data from the CDC a few weeks ago in kids and it says 75% of kids have zero prevalence against COVID-19, we're at 75%. So whoever, vaccine, no vaccine, 75% of people have natural immunity. There's 25% of people left. I don't think we'll ever get to 100% Mm -hmm. because- Probably
1: more, don't you think?
0: What's that, right now?
1: I think that's a low estimate. Correct. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, 75%. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit higher. In fact, because these are all outdated statistics and you know, this is not a perfect you know, sensitivity on all these things. Um, Maybe, but let's say 80% or something. We won't get to 100%. We'll probably get to like between 94% and 100% of people will eventually get COVID-19. As as we all know, the vaccine, you know, breakthroughs are abundant um, and it's inevitable. And so I guess I would say is that, you know, maybe you don't want every single kid to be out all at once, but we're kind of over that now. At most, it'll be, you know, a quarter of kids would be out all at once if it does hit your school. But... It's eventually going to hit your school. And so if you close for 5 cases or 6 cases, when you reopen again, you're just going to get it, you know? Yeah. What do you, yeah. you know? It's just going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. Just keep going to school. And if the hospital calls you and says, "We literally have no doctors to take care of patients anymore," then you can think about doing something. But we're not at that point. I don't no, think anywhere in this no. country.
1: It's interesting because in the old days of you know, Oregon has very bad graduation rates mm-hmm. from high school were the second worst in the country. Really shocking. I believe, yeah. I know.
0: It's a liberal bastion.
1: Yeah, well, Oregon's not though. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, right, I it's mean, a lot of yeah, right out here. there.
0: Yeah, it's right in it Portland.
1: But, but across the state we have terrible, but some of them, I think the worst is in Portland. Mm. So they've done a lot of, you know, people have done research on how to increase graduation rate and the biggest predictive factor is that is absent.
0: Mm. So
1: when students start being absent, these are very good signs that they're not going to make it to graduation right? so decreasing absences has been a huge thing for districts and it works well like if someone's absent having a dedicated staff member who calls the home or even goes there and says like so-and-so really needs to come to school etc these have been effective strategies and somehow that doesn't now it's just all out the window
0: it's so shocking to me because if you think about all the money we've spent on the pandemic, you know initially what five trillion dollars oh, in the pandemic, and obviously who swallowed it. Remember they had that um, uh, that provision to prevent um, small businesses from laying off employees, and then now Raj Chetty and others have shown that like you know the vast majority of that five hundred billion dollars was just stolen essentially squandered. Mm-hmm. It didn't save any jobs. Um, you, and and all this money that school districts have also gotten a huge influx of cash oh, huge, yeah. huge influx of cash and where is this money going because the thing that the number one priority should be like a door-to-door task force to identify and recover children who have not come back to school there's mm-hmm. still millions of kids missing mm-hmm. um you're right absenteeism is rampant i mean these are all the problems that were begotten by a bad policy uh which is just getting yeah. worse and people are still a little bit entrenched but i do think on the school issue the wind is finally blowing in the right direction. Faster than other issues.
1: Yeah, although, yes and no. I don't know. I mean, sure. Like people like Randy Weingarten now say, like, "Oh, the school closures were, you know." Yeah. She was just getting ratio. Did you see that? Yeah. Well, deservedly <laughs> so. I mean. Yeah, like who was behind them? But um, she
0: she was the um, the 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 federation uh, uh, task. She's the president of the labor union for the teachers union, which was the biggest roadblock to school reopening. But somebody recently pointed out to me, they said, I don't blame the teachers' union. I blame the people who lectured the teachers' union, including Anthony Fauci and others, because supposedly they were told by many experts early in the pandemic, you know, how bad school is and dangerous, et cetera. So this person actually blamed the, the information that was being given to mm. the unions. I don't know if I believe that because... I don't know if they believe that yeah. either.
1: I mean, did you read the... President of the Oakland School Board's resignation Blistering. letter. It's brilliant. Blistering. It was so good. I mean, and she really put her finger on a lot of what's driving that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. I think, and then the letter, I think, if I recall, one of the things she points out is that we go to meetings where we talk about, are we going to keep this high school Lincoln or change it to something else? Mm-hmm. Because apparently Lincoln is not a good enough person in the history. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nobody good enough. There's no, not, you know, every single person who did good in this world was also a human being, and they have flaws. And, you know, if you keep stripping names, what names are you going to be left with? You can put a name that you uh, revere now, Obama, but 50 years from now, people will look at his. Mm,
1: true. Good, Very good. flawed.
0: He didn't true. do enough on climate change. Yeah. He didn't do enough uh, to strengthen the affordable, the affordable care didn't go far enough.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. He launched sure.
0: drone strikes on, killed some innocent people.
1: I know a lot of people very upset about that, yeah, as one might be
0: let's talk about the masking, so this judge has finally done what nobody had the courage to do <laughs>
1: yeah, and then they smeared her as a quote trump judge a Trump sure. judge yeah
0: <laughs> and um and that she was only thirty some years old so she she doesn't know enough and I was like, look as a, as somebody in their 30s still you know you can know a lot but um <laughs> but I was just on the flight, you know and Masks are gone. I mean, there's a few people who wear masks still, but it's largely gone. This is from San Francisco to Portland, two mask capitals of the world.
1: Oh, people weren't masking? I haven't Maybe flown since 50%, they ditched yeah. it. Huh? I know. I saw, I saw someone on Facebook said, um, it's a very sad day to be a flight attendant. And then I literally was seeing videos of these flight attendants cheering. singing and stuff. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what bubble you're living in. All the videos I saw, they look pretty happy.
0: I mean, it clearly is something that people obviously don't normally want to do and didn't want to do. Mm-hmm especially on a flight um, yeah. I, and they weren't doing it well before, you know, I was on flights before.
1: Well, and the, I think the flight attendants were so tired of arguing with people about it and having to be the enforcer.
0: Police this stupid policy. Yeah,
1: and even if they thought it was a good idea, just the conflict must have been just awful.
0: Yeah, there, you know, every whether um, all these jobs in life from the person who works at a school to the police officer to this person, you know, we give people a little bit of power. I think there's a lot of people, who they hate to enforce stupid rules. There's a few people who relish who enforcing love stu- who love yeah, it. Yeah, and like I hate the those guy be- in the
1: elevator I was telling. Yeah, about. <laughs> right. And I've
0: had my run-ins that person <laughs> in my, my bicycle. But you know, there are few people that love enforcing stupid rules. And I don't know why. I mean, it gives them some purpose in their life. Many years ago, I applied for um, some document from the city. I'll be a little bit vague about it. And the way this application in was this city? No, different city. Thank God. Well, this city has got a different props. There's like an online thing, and you have to fill out this online thing and submit it. And then there's a portion of it you have to come in and do something in person. Okay, so I filled out the online thing, and then the last thing was book your in-person appointment. I booked it. And then for like the first available appointment, I wanted this done. And then I go in, in person, and the person was like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do this second part, this in-person part, because the first part of the application, it has to be printed, we have to create a folder, open the folder, put it in, and then we do the second part and add it to the folder. And I was like, let me give you a tip. Here's what you do. There's a folder right there. You write my name on it, you open it, you do the second part first, you put it in the folder, the first part will print, and then it'll join it in the folder, and then you process the yeah. folder. You just do the reverse order. And the person was like, that's not how it works. And then I was like, you know, later I was thinking, I just let it go because um, what can you do in life? Yeah. But I was like, what a, what a terrible job where you don't even have the autonomy to use your brain. And, and mm-hmm. you have no power. You're powerless. And you like to, and maybe this person actually relishes enforcing this stupid rule. And if it was so important, your computer shouldn't have allowed me to reschedule so soon because it should have accounted for this printing.
1: I know you've gotten kind of a lot of heat for saying something similar, but like Kafka understood very well mm. how one got from there to what followed? Yes, I, mean, I know. He wrote about this extensively, right? Like if you've read the trial and yes, and the like, how that kind of failure to have a thought process outside of what's being dictated or whatever—I don't know. right but It's only one step away.
0: The, yeah, I mean, maybe more than one. More not, than one. not that many. No, no, but it's part of the process. I mean, I yeah, I got in trouble for the idea that you know, if you allow leaders to have unilateral authority to declare emergency based on no set rules and the emergency can last as long (laughs) as you ever want and under emergency authority you can suspend whatever you want to suspend then that's a dangerous power and you can squash information that you don't like Mm -hmm. you want to give all those tools to the same person i think that's you know we talk about this um the censoring and twitter and stuff um Mm -hmm. I mean, what happened to liberals? You know, you and I are liberals. What happened to our side? Because when, when I was growing up as a liberal, it was – liberals were the, were the side of people who didn't like the censoring. We were saying the provocative things, and it was the conservatives who wanted to censor us. You know, we didn't like censoring books. Mm. We didn't like that. And, we, and, you know, some of us still don't like censoring books, but they make an exception for those Dr. Seuss books that were – recalled. you know, <laughs> nobody, nobody was upset about that, but I think those shouldn't have been censored. Either, you know, and um, we want Twitter to censor they all assume that the person who's censoring at these companies is going to be able to be somebody that we can control and they'll have our point of view but what will happen when the congress goes the other direction mm-hmm. and there's a there's somebody from the other political party in the white house they mm-hmm. will just they can just take over the tool
1: you talked about the like who was doing the twitter fact checking too and sort of how unqualified
0: so unqualified those
1: people were so and this is related to the the first thing you said a few minutes ago about masking, and I talk about this actually with my class quite a bit because I'm not teaching it right now, but I taught this class called Freshman Inquiry, mm. which is supposed to be about teaching critical thinking. And we usually start, we started with a whole thing on cancel culture, which was quite fun actually. And um, I think that one of the reasons why the transformation you're talking about has happened is because now the consequences are so high because of social media. So it used to be if you had a, an opinion that was unpopular. Like say you were like, let's not ban that book because banning books is illiberal. All right. The whole world didn't know it.
0: Yeah, and there's so, no permanent record of yeah, it. Yeah,
1: there was no permanent record. You weren't like dragged in public. Now if you say something your friends don't like, you know, it's all over the internet. Your friends logging up on you, your friends. Right. You know, there's this sort of the tool of public shame really didn't exist in the same way. Right. I mean, somebody could have written an article about it in the newspaper, but it never would have had the legs it now. Mm-hmm. And so, and my students who they're, you know, these are, this class is for true freshmen, so they're like 18. Or nineteen, they talk about this a lot. I mean, I do you think that they really live in fear? Mm,
0: of, I, yeah, I think they of do. Of the
1: social shame, and it's it's very very powerful. Like I think it's it's hard for someone my age to understand because I didn't grow up with it, for one thing. I didn't exist, and also because I'm you know fifty six now. Like if people want to shame me, I'm not gonna love it, but I'm not gonna crumble. Like mm-hmm. I you know the way that I think the eighteen year olds do really really live in fear and the way that gets back to masking is like in portland public they're all still masking oh, God. even though the mask requirement is gone
0: yes so it's a conformity kind conformity, of issue. conformity 100 percent.
1: and i have many friends who worked with me side by side along schools and you know getting rid of the mask mandate who are beyond frustrated watching their kids go to school on a mask because they're just like you know that you're just doing this to conform right and the kids say yeah
0: I've been shamed for seven years now for my views on medicine and cancer drug policy, (laughs) and so I'm inured to shaming too, Um, and we can come back to that. But I I think there's two parts to it. One part is what you're talking about is the technology has allowed a permanent record for things that didn't used to be a permanent record. If you go back to what I said at college at two in the morning with my friends and some drinks, there's no record of yeah. that, thank goodness. Thank goodness right? <laughs> <laughs> thank, yeah, thank goodness. Yeah. So that's part of it, I think. There's no permanent record. There's no bulletin board of all the things you ever said or did when you're 17 years old, thank goodness. But the second part of it, it I think, is the appetite to talk about what somebody else is saying is so much higher than it mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. We, I swear, I just, you know, people talk about all these kids on college campuses, these speakers that are unpopular. I cannot tell you who spoke on my college campus when I was a student there. I didn't know. I didn't care about it. I mean, my...
1: Interesting. See, I definitely knew, and we went and protested people. You what? Yeah, but they they, they spoke anyway. Like, Ted Cruz was supposed to speak at... I think at my graduation or class day or something, and I think he did. He came, no, and when, I remember people protested. as an un- when you were an undergrad. No, no, it was yeah. after that. But it was, I don't know, fifteen years ago.
0: Okay, but then, and I
1: remember there were there were protesters. But this was
0: Northwestern or no, was- at Princeton. Course, he he okay. went to Princeton. Oh, I see. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
1: everyone hated him because he's a reptile. I can't stand that dude. Oh, yeah, I mean, me, I wish me Princeton either. wouldn't invite him, but I'm not going to say that they can't. I see. But I remember there were protesters, and even when well, I was there, I
0: thing. remember we had no. I went to Michigan State. Nobody is caring about the speakers. It was literally <laughs> the whole ecosystem revolved <laughs> around football. <laughs> yeah, football, basketball, yeah. hockey. And huh. did you get the tickets? You have to camp out for, which are very coveted, and oh, these are good funny. tickets. Yeah, and. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night party. Hmm. And the whole. Maybe
1: a big Midwestern public school is different. I
0: think so. I think yeah. it must be Midwestern public school. Yeah. Midwestern public school, the kids were mostly not the children of elites. Um, mostly people just mm-hmm. trying to get a degree to get to the next but level. But I bet
1: that's changed because, like, at Wisconsin, you know, they moved that super rock.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't know about this, but I do remember. That rock was like 50 times. It was tons.
1: supposed to be racist. Yeah. yeah. So And, and they, they got rid of it or they moved it, even though it was, yeah, this giant rock. John McWhorne did thing about it. Really? I gotta read that. Yeah, like, I mean, really?
0: it's a rock. I think that sometimes you have to repossess the narrative and that means no need to move a boulder, you know. You can find another way to re- <laughs> to, re- to change the narrative of what you want the narrative to be. Yeah. Um, but I don't know all the details of a rock or how a rock could symbol it. I'll leave that aside because i pleading But in there's this.
1: entire schools because of this, because but of I social guess... media conformity and unwilling to be the one who takes your mask off.
0: Okay, Still but masking, masking. here's my question for you. Still masking. You're 20 years old. You're in college. How could that possibly be a thing you care about? A rock on campus, some speaker coming. Do, are, what about... I don't know, relationships with other people, friends, sex, drinking. They don't care about these things? I really am puzzled. What are they doing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, but it's easy to complain about something far from you. You know what I mean? Rather than, like, have the tough conversation with your friend. I think it's the remove. Yeah. Like, there's something so removed about it that makes it safe to get in a flurry about. Rather than the views of people right near you. I, also,
0: yeah, I think about the views of people near me. And so, you know, do I know some people who ever made sort of a, a race a racist tinged joke? And I know many, many such things. And maybe as somebody who's not white, uh, I, I kind of was a little bit attuned to it, mm. uh, especially things about immigrants and like, you know, what your parents are cooking and that kind of, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of yeah. assumptions and yeah. kind of stuff. <clears throat> but, you know, I feel like I never, my tactic was never to be like, shame the person in the heat of the moment mm. um it was always more to like you know eh, you know allow them to have made their little error and gr- and gently over the course of many many months or years you know kind of bring them to understand that you know we're just people like you're all people you know it's mm-hmm. just you know mm-hmm. I, I feel like i don't know i maybe maybe i'm so, you were at Princeton 15 years ago, and you... No, no, uh-huh. I
1: graduated, like, 30 years ago.
0: Uh-huh, but then... But I
1: would come and go for different things. I, see, I mean, I, see, I just remembered, like, he, I think he was the class day speaker, which is... It's not graduation, it's, like, this other thing, where they invite, like, a notable and person. And, I mean, I don't
0: like him, too, but what's the point of protesting him? Just let him come and give his talk, and then invite somebody who... Uh, like, Bernie, yeah, to give a talk. Or don't go, if
1: you don't want to I know, him. don't go. Yeah. I
0: okay. mean, at the other point... The other question is that, even though some people are onerous, they are important in the world, and... Ted Cruz for all his faults. I mean, isn't he an important political figure for the last 15 years? He's defined a lot of things. He famously quarreled. He tried to stoop to Trump's level and he couldn't pull it off because it's it's not who he is. It's hard to
1: get that low. It's hard to get... He's pretty low. I
0: mean, he's low in different ways. But, you know, Trump is the guy who... Is the king at making put-down jokes, you know? And if you're not yeah, if you, you don't, don't play that game, him there. yeah. you're And if you don't good at it, you know, it's not natural when Ted Cruz does it. When yeah, Trump yeah. does it, it's natural. It's how he's been talking for forty years. You yeah, know, yeah, you just know a, it's natural. He's a
1: shit talker.
0: Yeah, he's yeah. a shit talker. He's a shit talker <laughs> He's been shit talking in rooms. You know, I know yeah. people like that, and you never beat a shit talker. They're the best at it. You try to talk <laughs> shit back, they got a better joke, better come. Yeah, and yeah. Ted does not. He's not a shit talker. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a yeah. shitty talker. But there's other because his views are stupid. But I mean, he's more fervent, a true believer. Trump, i don't think is a true believer on anything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean other than his own Mm self-aggrandizement money yeah yeah. i mean you think he believes anything
1: no no no.
0: like does he have strong feelings about the supreme court and roe v wade i don't think so i think he just did what he needed to do to get uh, elected
1: yeah you can be sure that was all architected elsewhere
0: let me ask you about oh you want to say something
1: Oh, I was going to say, Batya Ungersargen had a very oh, yes. good conversation about what we were talking about, about why you would cut off somebody whose views are you object to because you've lost the opportunity to influence them. Yeah. You know, so just cutting them out is a terrible solution because she's like, well, if you don't like their views, why don't you want to maintain the connection so you have a chance of influencing them?
0: You know, and that's another different thing. I'll tell you, like, when we were trying to, like, quote unquote, cut somebody out. What were the things that irritated me when I was in my 20s and cut somebody out? Somebody who, like, habitually stands you up, habitually late, mm, yes, you know? I hate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, never had money. There's like, <laughs> you know, there's like one dude who's like, oh, never had his wallet with him. Yeah. He had to foot the bill and he never paid us back. Okay. Those are the things. Yeah. But it wasn't made a joke in poor taste, mm-hmm. had one of many views. Um, to be honest, I don't even think I know the political... I, see, I'm so, I'm just so... I just really cannot understand these kids these days because I do not even know my best friend's political views on the seminal issues of the day, 2002, 2003. I don't know how they felt about the Iraq War. Hmm. Uh, I, maybe I have a sense that people, by 2005, 6, 7, they were you know, kind of opposed to it. By then, I think many people were. But I don't know how they felt initially. Hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: We didn't talk about this. I mean, maybe I'm just living in a dream. Maybe I because yeah. I didn't go to Princeton, Princeton maybe more all the elite schools have this problem this uh, this affliction worse. I don't
1: think that's how it was when I was there though. I, I mean see. I think it's very different now. it's getting worse very very yes, very um monoculture of ideas and
0: let me put one more theme in here too. I have a friend, and he said that he was um talking to a woman and he asked her like, you know what are the things you worry about?" And she was like, you know, sometimes I wake up paralyzed with fear about climate change. Exactly. <laughs> that was my reaction. And I was interesting. like, hey. I was like look, yeah. you know, you could be the most, the biggest believer that climate change is a real, you know, problem. It's man-made and, and, and that, that we can avert it if we just change our policies. I mean, I understand you could believe all those things, even fervently and push for policy changes. But what I really struggle to understand is that it would wake you from sleep with anxiety. It's like yeah it, it, it's i don't know what how to put it it's a sense of like yeah it's it's a policy problem you know but for it to wake you from sleep with anxiety i mean that it, like well, who are you god you can you're controlling the world like you're just one person so you do your best you can and and that's one and then two what about all the like the daily problems in life you know all the challenges we face in life um from, you know, your job, your interpersonal relationships, finances. You have those worries don't t- Trump climate change?
1: Don't you think people create these narratives that they want to believe? Yeah. Like you have anxiety about something and it feels I, I don't know your friend or whoever this was. No, no, I don't like, know. It this feels virtuous either. to say it's about climate. Of course, change. it feels virtuous. And maybe it's really about the fact that you don't know where you put your keys, you know, or yeah. whatever. Like, or you the yeah, heck knows? Yeah. I, I or mean, you don't know where your life is going.
0: Yeah. I think that's the number one anxiety people face. They're like, I don't know where my job is going. I don't know where my relationships are going. I don't know, you know. Mm. I think that's the biggest anxiety people face.
1: Mine is that I'll, like, forget my shoes.
0: Oh, that you'll have Alzheimer's someday. Yes. Yeah.
1: Or that I do already.
0: Oh. <laughs> I think I mean I think that uh, I mean I, I, yeah, as you get older I think you have the anxiety of those kinds of things ache, ache, mm. aging and when you're not, yeah, you're not the same you're as well.
1: young, you know well no I to, still
0: like... I start to have like you know aches and pains I can't I can't drink as many glasses of wine with dinner as I used to oh, be able yeah, to you know yeah. uh, without serious consequences mm-hmm. so I mean I think you have those anxieties um, but that's different I mean that's your mortality I think which is people have always grasped with but I can't imagine that people have grasped with you know. Do you wake up in the middle of the night worried a comet's going to hit the U.S.? Or, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night... I mean, if you
1: have anxiety anyway.
0: I see. Generalized anxiety. Yeah. yeah. But you're not yeah. putting your finger on the root of it.
1: Correct. Okay. In my belief.
0: Yes. Yes. Let's talk about Ashish Jha. The czar. They call him the czar. You know, he's an interesting guy because I see him on TV saying, um, we really need to defend the airplane mask mandate. And I was like, first of all, it was a cloth mask mandate anyway. People say it's not a cloth mask mandate. It the mandate is whatever the least uh, amount mm-hmm. of compliance is. If you had a mandate for seatbelts, but the seatbelts could be made out of licorice, it's not <laughs> going to be very useful, right?
1: Some of the European airlines made you wear the paper one.
0: Oh, they did. Mm-hmm. Okay. At least they had, or they stepped it yeah. up the paper.
1: We flew on Lufthansa or something, and I remember. And they, they made were...
0: you wear the surgical mask. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Okay. Well, okay. that's better than this country. Here we have the, the you know, the loose fitting neck gator, which we know does nothing. <laughs> yes. Like we literally know it does nothing.
1: I thought the gators were worse.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's even like in mannequin studies, it spreads more. So, but it's certainly in cluster randomized trials at Bangladesh, it did nothing. So we know it does nothing. We know people don't like to do it. We know that the actual compliance is dwindling by the day. Like, it's not the same as it was in April 2020. Now people just could care less. Um, and they never studied it. Like, he, he, he's the czar, the White House. They have unlimited resources. You can't randomize 100 airplanes. You could even do it in one week. One week. 50, randomize the flights. One week and then just contact trace all the people on the plane and see what happened. That
1: would be expensive.
0: They have the bucks. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's yeah, true. They right. certainly do.
0: Yeah, this, just just don't pay for I, Albert Borla's next booster without getting some data first. You got all the bucks you need. I mean, but like, there's no commitment to study it. Okay, so I see him say that. Next thing I see him say, um, when asked, point blank, do you support masking two to four-year-olds? Oh, I trust the AAP and CDC. He said that on he TV. yeah did? He, yeah. he trust the AAP? Yeah, he trusts them? I was like, that's your first I was like, that should be disqualifying for the job that <laughs> you would trust these people.
1: Oh, I didn't hear him say that.
0: Yeah. So he said, I trust the experts. I rely on the experts on that question. Which is obviously a stupid thing, because now we know from Spain that it that we have that nice little regression discontinuity study showing it probably doesn't work. And also it was a stupid premise. Mm it was always stupid to believe that putting a cloth mask around a two-year-old is actually going to change pandemic dynamics or change mm-hmm. spread in school because they're not wearing it correctly. It's the mask that doesn't work in adults who do wear it correctly, um, you know, and then they sleep in the same room to take their nap and they take it all off. So
1: Even a six-year-old. My friend who teaches first grade, she said that one girl just uses it as a pouch for her crackers. <laughs> <laughs> like she keeps the crackers in yeah. there and then she can just eat them.
0: Well, good for this kid right? to be inventive. Ingenious. Yeah, but ingenious. It, yeah,
1: I mean, that's, you know...
0: What does that tell you? What does that tell you? the
1: fit and the dirt and cracker, crud and God knows what.
0: I mean, I saw saw a kid recently and somebody had fitted the kid with like the kid um, contraband KF94, but the gaps at the nose were so, I'm like, all the air is just blowing up. Anyway, whatever. This is all stupid. It it doesn't, you know, but why? So he's defending this, which is, you know, I mean, I got to imagine 20 years from now, somebody's going to watch that videotape and, and just be like, these people were morons to even think that this would work. At that age, you know, maybe there it's more plausible that they work at older people where you can do a study, but certainly at that age is stupid. Okay, he does these things. To me, if he supports these policies, he's got to be thinking this is a dire emergency. You know, it's a really serious thing. And then he's at the White House correspondence dinner. No mask, I can't partying. He this and...
1: is a dire emergency.
0: Yeah, well, then which is it? he You think he'd, I mean, I know it's not a dire emergency anymore. I what mean, is... He
1: seems like a very smart man. Quite sure he knows it's not a dire emergency.
0: Then why is he saying this? Because
1: people get in the hot seat and mm-hmm. then I think they just say stuff. Like, I feel eternally grateful to him because he said, deep cleaning, I don't even know what that is. Remember that? Yeah. And I was just like, thank you. Somebody who's calling out this ridiculous nonsense of the scrub, you know, like my kid last year in high school, he had a teacher who made them spray the desk with Lysol before they sat down. The whole thing, scrub, and then before they got up again, dumping all these chemicals into the air they're breathing, just terrible, right? Like, what is this doing? And I remember that Ashish Jaw said that in the, I think it was in the Washington Post. It was some article about hygiene theater, and he was quoted. And saying deep cleaning, I don't even know what that is. That's I'm a sure good saying. quote. That's a great quote. Like, thank you. So, I, I feel grateful to him for that. Like, there are times where he said things that really needed to be said. Yes. Maybe not since he took this position. Well. But I think that what happens is once you have in a position in an administration, it's like your brain just put in a warper. Like, you're not allowed to say what you really think. I'm sure they must, you know, these are your talking points. Hmm. You stick to them. And if you don't, you're going to get heat. So it's even hard to know what anyone really thinks. I mean, I don't think they're even allowed to say. Do you hmm. think they are? I mean, I, I don't know.
0: I don't know, but how can you have integrity as a person to go say mm-hmm. stupid things? But, okay, well, here, let me put it this way. There's a spectrum of crazy beliefs. If somebody said, we're going to slaughter all the goats to ward off COVID-19, we'd say that's a primitive, antiquated belief, and that's stupid. If somebody said, we're going to spray down all the deaths with Lysol, I think we would say... That's stupid. that's not how this virus spreads and you know it's just a waste and exposure to chemicals and you know it's a pointless exercise and it's sort of an OCD thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay, so that's also stupid. And yeah. if somebody says we're gonna put a cloth mask on a two-year-old and even though now we have multiple studies that show it doesn't do anything, we never did any good studies to show it does do anything, I think that's also stupid. but you could say this that the slaughtering a goat is more visibly stupid than mm-hmm. the masking a two-year-old okay. But the purpose of the expert is presumably that they put the line in the right spot between stupid things and smart things, you know? Uh, yeah, but, but no, they don't. They don't.
1: No. But I also think it is hard to – it's hard to understand the pressure you're under once you get in one of those situations, you know, where you're being we you're, quote, a spokesperson for the administration and all the yada yuda and, you know – like, I like to think I would still speak my mind, but then you're basically like Scott Atlas, right? Like, this person who's just shouting into the wind, who everyone's trying to sideline and smearing his reputation, and then you're out.
0: Yeah. I think, you
1: know, like, there's this weird balance between not wanting to buck the talking points so that you're not given the boot mm-hmm. and maintaining your influence and mm-hmm. then being honest.
0: And Atlas, I feel, he's Trump's person. So unless the only way Atlas could have survived if he was more draconian than everyone else at the table, because Trump, mm-hmm. of course, had the reputation that he was not as draconian, and that led people who disliked Trump to be the most puritanical and draconian mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. stopping the spread, whatever it takes, you know? Mm-hmm. And Atlas was fundamentally, you know, often reasonable on a lot of things, oh, from school very. closure, I mean, school his book, opening.
1: I he seems uh, completely reasonable, yeah, And exactly. like he knew what he was talking about. Yes. He didn't even seem like he really liked Trump.
0: Correct. I, I mean, think... it
1: makes it very clear that he was actually trying to help. Yeah. I, I don't know.
0: I feel bad. He was really harshly demonized.
1: Oh, just smeared.
0: I mean, people should just read his smeared. book. Because yeah. the book is a fact, you know, an accounting of.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. I thought the book was very good.
0: Yeah, very good. And I
1: came in believing all the smears.
0: Correct. Me too.
1: And then I started reading it and yes. I was like, oh, wait, he's not crazy. Yeah. This book actually makes perfect sense and it's like quite well written and, you know, all the things.
0: But no one is covering the book. That's telling.
1: Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Because you know why? They need the New York Times bestseller list. All the publishers, uh, uh, Coleman Hughes had a guest on who talked about this, who wrote a book about the New York Times. It's called The Grey Lady Winked, Mm -hmm. and how he tried to get publishing houses, he actually worked in publishing, to publish it, and they were basically like, well, but we can't piss off the New York Times because the publishing houses need the New York Times bestseller list.
0: Oh, I see. Which itself is a scam. Because it doesn't always represent real things let's talk about boosting adolescence i just saw <sighs> speaking of ashish jaw he just tweeted we're getting the numbers up there and he showed like booster rates by age group a kaiser family foundation poll oh here it is uh 18 to 29 55 percent of those eligible have been boosted because Good news. their
1: colleges require it
0: oh i'm sure that's the only reason
1: yeah that's the only reason
0: if you wanted to control the pandemic's bad outcomes would you spend your time boosting 18 to 29-year-olds? <laughs> You're shaking your head now.
1: So. I, I, you know how many pieces I've written about the college booster yeah. mandate. One with you.
0: Yeah.
1: One on my own. Yeah. And I'm writing one with Allie right now. And I think at some point, I don't know how long it'll take. It might never come to light, actually, honestly. But this is what I think. Those students are worse off. Actually worse off. Because of potentially original antigenic sin, so you're you're giving them a booster that they didn't need, potentially leaving their immune systems weaker for future variants, and opening them up to myocarditis, whatever. They're the the highest risk group, I think, for an adverse event from a mRNA vaccine. So nothing good happening there, and and also delaying their potentially delaying their infection, although we said before like boosters don't really seem to be doing that so right. maybe but that some transient
0: doesn't. no there's some transient effects and just to unpack that original antigenic sin i think the argument is that you keep giving somebody the same mrna spike and they're going to make robust antibodies against that and then if you want to go back later this fall or this winter or next year or five years from now and give him a slightly different spike having been primed to the original spike they may make more antibodies to the epitopes that were on the original spike and not sort of the new epitopes that have emerged Epitope being some three-dimensional protein conformation for which the body generates antibodies against. Okay, so that's the explanation. But, I mean, and I think that the point is that, you know, one cannot know it's true or false just yet. It will not take, you know, you won't know if it's true or false for five years or ten years. And so it is a question mark. But I think you're absolutely right in the sense the one thing you do know right now is the rates of adverse events and myocarditis, which uh, Katie Scharf from Kaiser mm, Northwest yeah, here I, in the I city. Yeah, her on your show. She puts it at a 1 in 10K, much higher than what people think. Mm. And it's hard to believe the reduction in hospitalization is 1 in 10K in that age group if you're healthy, you know? And so what are we even doing? Does it even have a net benefit to people?
1: No, I think, I think if you have, right now we're just guessing, yeah, and guessing. I think very clearly the the, the like, more realistic guess is that it's a net harm.
0: Yeah, I think that's a more realistic guess. And also the question is, certainly when you're guessing, maybe it could be an option, but it can't be a mandate. Mm. That's, you know, you're, you're just in the guessing business. You don't even really... You're know, yeah, guessing right. and you're mandating a guess?
1: It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Do you know how many emails I've written to my son's college when I, nobody answered, No. When no one answers. We well. even sent a letter with 50, that like 50 parents signed saying we're against this booster mandate. This has to stop. Like there's no data supporting yeah. it. You're potentially putting a lot of people who just had COVID because it was right. You know they came back from some break and they, um, I know like tons of them had COVID over break.
0: Yeah.
1: And then they were having to get boosted, et cetera, and. You know, this is nuts, right? Yeah, boosting right after
0: COVID. Yeah. yeah. That's even additional stupidity. I've had some... No one answered. ...off-the-record conversations with some school administrators at a, couple of col- a few places that have uh, done these kinds of policies. And I will tell you that just from talking to them, I can get a quick sense that, one, they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, they just don't, like, have a grasp of the data very clearly. Hmm. um, Because it's not their wheelhouse, typically. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are bureaucrats Mm -hmm. who are used to doing other sorts of... But they
1: all have, like, med schools and stuff. Like, who's advising them?
0: uh, They have medical doctors who have seen patients. But do they have people who think about risk benefits and policies and trade-offs and evidence? You would
1: think they would have somebody.
0: Well, you would think. But they're falling apart. That's one. The ones that... But that's part of the reason. The other part of the reason is they... Are just being pushed and pulled by constituencies. Mm-hmm. The faculty want the students to have it so they feel safe. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to feel safe. Mm-hmm. You know, this, I don't feel yeah. safe. I don't I'd feel heard safe that unless you. It's
1: the faculty. Yeah. Since when, what if the faculty said everyone needs to wear a tri colored hat or whatever? Yeah, to feel safe. Si- would we do that? Yeah. At least that would be less harmful.
0: Yes, at least it's less <laughs> harmful. I mean, well, that's why the faculty are saying that I want that triple vaxxed and, and, and status post Mm -hmm. natural immunity kid to wear the mask in class when I teach. So I feel safe. Everyone wants to feel safe. Um, but there's a difference between wanting to feel safe and doing things that actually reduce the risk of bad outcomes for you that make you Mm. safe and
1: harming someone else
0: and harming somebody else and imposing on somebody else. And, Mm. and, you know, doing things to make yourself feel safe that don't improve outcomes. That's delusion. And actually that should be something that we try to eradicate from rational society.
1: Yeah, and like I know you've talked about this before, but and making people have less faith in public health, you know, like I I happen to know, I don't know. Hope he won't be mad at me for saying this, but my son's feeling about the public health industrial complex is not good. It's not good. You know, he's like, I am a very healthy nineteen year old. Why am I being told I need to boost and? You know, be isolated in my room if I have COVID and all this. I mean, not he doesn't want to give other people COVID, but like these ice iso- isolation policies that are completely wackadoodle. But yeah. a couple schools have stopped. Northeastern stopped. They yeah. they basically said if you test positive, just stay in your room. But they like at Northwestern was making them move to these other dorms, and I mean, it's just it's bananas.
0: You know, and I mean. I sympathize with your son because nobody wants to feel like they got someone else sick and had something bad happen to them. But the truth is, we've always gotten other people sick and had something else happen. This is the first time we've ever moralized that. And, you know, like, yes, if you're sick, you shouldn't go work on the bone marrow transplant unit, okay? (laughs) So I would say, yeah, that you should never have done that. Right. Uh, Thankfully, I never had to do that. Um, And you should never do that going forward. Right. But if you have a little bit of illness, you have always gone to the grocery store or gone yeah. to the bank if you need to, right? or you know,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people
0: do childcare or something like that, or, or people have you know, and I don't when know. We
1: need that to prime our immune systems. I mean, we can't.
0: I guess be at least
1: completely immune naive, like that's not a good idea.
0: It's not a th- yeah. The idea that you'll live your life without ever getting a cold is that's like that's like saying, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. You can live a life without ever eating food. I mean, it's just part of what living life means. Well, now we have this outbreak of hepatitis, which they still haven't even yeah. caught. But at least one expert I see is is saying that one putative reason is that uh, I don't know where. Yeah, but but lack of having had yeah, 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 sequential yeah. viruses.
1: Marjorie and I have a new piece coming out. About oh, how we have to fall in love with germs again.
0: Good. Well, I had the piece with uh, <laughs> Allie. They will in, be slaughtered. Yes, because I had the piece with Allie <laughs> no. saying that should should healthy children get yeah. omicron? That was the title. Was it in Unheard. Unheard. Yeah, yeah, but it was really about like how kids need to be exposed to mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. things. Um.
1: We even said that you shouldn't exclude kids from runny noses from with runny noses from school because kids need to be exposed to other kids with runny noses. Of course, this is how you create an immune library. Yes, of course. What are we doing? But yeah, you're right. We'll probably be remember when they said you shouldn't
0: um, you shouldn't let kids be exposed to peanut dust. We talked about that. Yeah, yeah, thanks to the AAP. Yeah, thanks to the AAP. Yeah, and remember when they said put the baby on the stomach and then oh then the back, but then the stomach. No, (laughs) they don't know which side to put the baby in.
1: The Marjorie pointed out, and I think we cited some data that, um, like countries like Israel, where kids always ate peanuts. Yeah. They, um, yes, yes. They
0: have a snack that they give yeah, babies. Bamba. bamba. and they have yeah. the peanut dust on it, and they have yeah. the lowest rates of peanut right, allergies, exactly. which is how we started to learn. Yeah. But you know why the AAP is bad? I mean, not bad, but just a irrelevant and stupid. I mean, often uh, low quality evidence organization is just that. They they have an urge to comment. You mm-hmm. know, if you don't have data, you don't have to comment. You don't mm-hmm. have to tell somebody what to do. I don't come to your house and tell you like, oh, you should be drinking this green tea; it'll make you live long. You know, I don't come and I don't come and scold you on your tea habits, your coffee habits. So yeah. if you don't have data, don't comment. But they insist yeah. on commenting on so many things, like
1: yeah. But th- isn't that kind of their job? I mean, they are the AAP. No, see,
0: I disagree. I see. I think this is where I don't know. All guidelines associations feel like my job is when people don't know what the right answer is, I should give them guidance because. I have expertise, you know, but if you don't have evidence, you're expert, you're just another asshole Mm. with an opinion, you know, you know, you're just another, so
1: what is the AAP's mandate then?
0: I think their mandate is, there are some things in pediatrics for which there is great data, childhood immunization, Mm. um, you know, uh, putting some types of drops in the baby's eye when the baby's born. I don't know. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not a pediatrician, but you know, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, I see that they have these things that they'd like to do and their mandate should be the things that are proven. Oh, that the baby should touch the mother's skin right when the baby comes out. Um, that, you know, I don't know, Mm -hmm. they should get so many checkups and that we should report child abuse and, and be vigilant for that kind of stuff. And, um, the kids should get adequate nutrition and we should have better head start programs and pay for kids to have food and make sure people don't, are, are not impoverished and, Women who are pregnant and addicted, we do some things to try to help them and help their baby. So there's lots of things they could be doing. And and then the things you don't know, like, I don't know, should you give your kids screen time? I don't know. You don't know the answer. And so, like, just shut up about it, you know? Um, and I reviewed one of their papers in pediatrics about screen time. It was so bad. Was
1: it bad?
0: I mean, it was just like... It was like, of course, like, the type of parent who would give the child an iPad for 18 hours a day is not the type of parent that would never give the child an iPad and have a nanny in the house teaching them Mandarin, you know? You know what I mean? It's just different parents. And so, like, of course, that child is not going to do as well as that child, but is it the iPad or, Mm. you know, there's some natural experiments of, like, um, entrance of Sesame Street into markets suggesting that, like, early access Mm. to Sesame Street actually Mm -hmm. improves... You know, it always depends Mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. if the counterfactual is nobody interacts with you. Sesame Street is good. You know, Uh, anyway.
1: University of Pennsylvania did actually an actually good study Mm. on this question, uh, among others. It's called Two Million Words. Have you ever seen that study? Yeah. Yeah, So they fix these little recorders to mothers, um, twenty-four hours a day, to see how many words they talk to the kids Mm. for like two years. Yeah, and it was absolutely fascinating. And what they found is obviously that more screen time is just no one's talking to you. It also causes other issues, but like, or maybe causes a correlated, whatever. But that it was very clearly associated with fewer words being heard by children. Even though they're hearing, often hearing words on the screen, it's not the same. Like they don't learn the words in the same way. And so they launched this whole thing. It might've even been from CHOP, I'm not sure. It was from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, to get caregivers to talk to ch- babies more. It's really interesting. It's interesting. It's really interesting. You know, it's, yeah. it's a lot
0: like um, COVID policy because I guess one type of solution is to just scold people and say, don't give screen time, which I think is close to what their actual screen time rules are. The other thing is to like push for resources and say, we're going to have some Um, program that, you know, every child when they're six months, you know, can be dropped off at our center for two hours a day and we're going to read to them. them. Have someone read, yeah. (laughs) A great egalitarian effort to Mm -hmm. rich and poor kids all come and we'll read to them and, Mm -hmm. and you know what, mom, you can go take a break or dad, you can go take a break, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. And they did do a lot of stuff with like Head Start, for Mm -hmm. example, with the parents, basically you know, trying to educate them about the importance of talking to the baby, even really little babies, mm. you know, like they, this is a whole other thing about masking caregivers oh and masking babies is yeah. that, which
0: they never did in the UK, by the way, only in the Yeah, like country. Babies
1: actually need to see your lips yeah. moving.
0: No, they say that the baby the looks twice as long at your eyes as at your lips. So the interpretation Which is... does that
1: mean zero lips? I mean, okay, <laughs> but so no. What?
0: The, the interpretation, they say, is that the eyes are twice as important. But the other interpretation is... The eyes is are the, making sounds. Yeah, That's the lip, absolutely ridiculous. The lips are twice as expressive. I don't know. What is your... <laughs> well, I'm
1: not talking to you with my eye movement. I, know, I mean well, Even you, if it is was What is it called? A sm- you know, right? You smile with your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: There's some people with good smizes, but um, I don't think I'm one of those people. I have a s- smile, sm- scowl, smile. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think your smize is like differentiating a th sound from a t sound.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me read you this story. This is by an actual. I was blown away, and I even, you know, I really li- I hate to comment on other people's stupid stories, but I had to comment on this person's. Some, it's like an ICU doctor from Canada. It's like a real doctor. You know We
1: always have these debates, Monica and I, about whether people are a Actually, parody. Yeah, yeah, she thinks that um
0: I know that one person. Don't we, say I know, no, yeah, don't say, don't say. Yeah. Is a parody. Yes, yeah.
1: and I'm like, no, she's real.
0: I know, but I read I a thing tra- by that person and it was like but oh, I just read something that she's like giving up her practice or something. But the thing I read about that person who seems like a parody was when I come to the office and I want to drink a bottle of water, I take a deep breath of air through my N95, hold my breath, remove my N95, <sighs> spill my mouth with water, put the N95 on, exhale through my nose, <laughs> swallow the water, and like I can drink a whole <laughs> bottle without ever breathing a single... Okay, let me read this dude. A COVID story with permission. A healthy healthcare professional in her 30s, she's vaccinated times three quote, successfully avoided COVID for two years by taking sensible precautions within her control, a.k.a. was a rich person with a nice big house, assisted by sensible collective precautions in place for much of this period. Okay.
1: Okay, she never left the house. She never
0: left the house, and and it must have been probably a big house, yeah. That all changed on March 21st with the removal of mask mandates in schools in Ontario province. Oh, no, I'm supposed to say the province of Ontario. Apparently the Canadians, they get very... Oh, I got so many emails about this. Really? Yeah. I never knew that. Infuriates them, apparently. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about that, Canadians. Okay. Within two weeks, one of her young children, vaccinated times two, was infected with SARS-CoV-2 and brought it home, infecting the whole family, including her husband, vaccinated times three, and two other children not yet eligible for vaccination. I can't wait to hear the take home on this. No, oh, it's gonna get it's gonna get way worse. <laughs> I mean, what is the what is the take home? One, did dropping the mask mandate in school lead to this kid getting COVID? Maybe, but maybe. maybe not. It was pure coincidence, and I think probably it was pure coincidence because the mask mandate probably didn't work. So it would have happened anyway. Um, she learned after the fact that there had been cases in her child's class, but she had not been notified. What would she have been able? You know, okay, she didn't want to be notified. Um, her child was literally the only one in the class still wearing a mask. I thought it was what supposed. What does that tell you? Yeah. What does that tell you? <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Okay. It's not working. Okay. Only one in three of five to 11 year Ontario children have received two vaccine doses. A result of the complete failure of officials to communicate their value. No, that's a result of the fact that where is the data for that age group? There's these like. Or they ver- all had it already. Oh yeah. Well, one in the U.S. there's like a 75 percent zero prevalence. So, they, do they? Can could you possibly benefit a healthy child who already had it? I don't see data for that. Two, even five to 11. The trial was powered for antibody titers. And all the data that, they, that the CDC says for hospitalization reduction is really terribly confounded observational data. What kind of parent, the type of parent that rushes their five-year-old to get the vaccine on day one versus the type of parent who doesn't want to rush, they're very different types of parents. And the type of parent that's rushing, of course, they're going to get less COVID and less hospitalization, but I don't know if it has the vaccine. You know, you need randomized data. Choosing not to wear a mask and remaining unvaccinated are not self regarding risks. And then they cite that David Fishman paper in CMAJ, which is just a terrible paper. But it gets worse. Her child, though she was courage though though she had courageously continued to mask among massless classmates, was distraught with guilt and frequently Aww. woke in the night expressing concern that one or more of her parents or siblings could die as a result of their oh, illness, and it would be quote her fault. Poor child. I
1: know, that's terrible.
0: They have like filled this child's with so much propaganda that the child feels guilty Ugh, for
1: speaking like speaking of generalized anxiety
0: yeah it's Aww, so cruel i mean it's really cruel no child was born thinking when i give when other people get respiratory viruses because i had a respiratory virus is my fault like, some adult had to teach him that. And, and you know what? In 2019, I've never heard of any child ever saying, Mommy got sick because of me. It's my fault. I never heard that. This is a new thing that these zealots have invented, this moralizing. It's terrible. We
1: link to this piece in the Washington Post, Marjorie and I, in our new piece that's coming out in Slate, that this piece in the Washington Post, it was called... It basically, the, the thesis of it was that we should tell children that they're germ factories so that they'll be more conscientious about washing their hands and not Jesus. coughing on people.
0: That's terrible. For real. Terrible messaging.
1: How, yeah. Can you believe that? And the Washington Post printed it.
0: Tell children that if they use the bathroom, they're a urination factory. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not helpful. Okay, then it gets worse. Um, okay. That's the end of the story, right? Wrong. Two weeks later, she began, and I don't know who the she is, it's the mother or the child, but two weeks later, she began to experience right lower quadrant abdominal pain and presented to the hospital with appendicitis. By the time they take her to the OR, her appendix had ruptured. There is an association of SARS-CoV-2 with appendicitis. And then the link is case series of acute appendicitis association with SARS-CoV-2, single institution. This is just total garbage data. Imagine if because I put
1: everyone has COVID. Yeah, some of them are also going to have appendicitis. I
0: know, and so is there an increased risk or not? I don't know. But imagine if somebody cited a, a garbage study to say vaccines cause appendicitis, right? right? This is such it's just so Aww. bad. No, um, then a few weeks after the COVID illness, grief. and one week after the surgery, she had pleuritic chest pain, shortness of breath, and lightheadedness, and she was diagnosed with pulmonary embolism, probably well, because no. of immobility after surgery. It's
1: probably the kid, right?
0: I, I don't know either. Do the kid, adults
1: get appendicitis. Yeah, I, I mean it can happen.
0: Way. Yeah, but I guess the kid is more common. Um, but then they say that the COVID contributed to the blood clot, but we have another reason that's the cause of the blood clot, which is the immobility after surgery. It all began with and an abdication of duty. We need to go back to mask mandates oh, yesterday. I mean,
1: maybe it was parent because do kids get clots post appendicitis? That seems weird.
0: It seems very, um, I mean, very low, but um, you know, anyone who spends time in bed all day is at risk of stasis and clot. Um, and that can happen after surgery i mean i guess what i really what i really hate is like about this whole thing is it's like totally fear-mongering um what's the point because we're really going to get to the high 90s of COVID saturation soon very very soon we're already past probably 75 80 in kids anyway it's going to get to 95 percent, you know 93 94 something like that soon um there's no need to, need to moralize about it cloth masking kids doesn't slow it but even if it were it would be pointless um, but i don't think it does um, and you certainly can't blame everything that happens to you in life after COVID to COVID. Um, mm-hmm. After after I got COVID, um, somebody overdrew my checking account and, you know, <laughs> and my car got a flat tire. Uh, therefore, COVID is not over yet. You know, yeah. this is the dumbest thing I've ever read.
1: Did you see, somebody tweeted the best tweet. I can't remember what it was, but it, who it was. It said, if there were Twitter in 1918, the flu pandemic would still be going on. <laughs> <laughs> You know,
0: I had um, John Yonides give us a lecture and he made a lot of interesting points about 1918 um, where, I mean, one of his big points is is that if anyone thinks like we have an accurate count of death and IFR Mm -hmm. and that, he's like, the data is so bad, so unreliable. But you remember in the beginning of the pandemic, they always had that during the 1918 flu, Philadelphia had a parade and St. Louis didn't have the parade Mm -hmm. and they showed this like one anecdote from some book. And as if it's like proof of like why you shouldn't have parades outside, and, yeah, you know, yeah, an
1: outdoor parade. Yeah. Big, well, I think yeah, there was a whole thing about how like Philly didn't shut down or whatever.
0: Something like this, but my understanding is, anyway, I, was that most of that era, nobody did anything, you know. So it was like mostly unmitigated. They
1: did close schools in a lot of cities. Yeah,
0: but they didn't they have outdoor schools in tents in a lot of cities.
1: Yeah, there were some. I saw some photos of these kids all bundled up outside.
0: Yeah, but one of the salient differences was that. It was far more lethal to young people than old people. The median age of death was like yeah, 21.
1: Yeah. And New York never closed schools. Wow. New York City, which even back then was a huge district. Huge.
0: We're closing schools for this thing that's like the least of the concerns to a child, healthy child.
1: This blaming kids every time you get something is so awful.
0: It's so we awful. We should
1: be thanking them. That's how you... How Build they, immunity yeah. and
0: stay healthy, stay yeah. normal. I mean there's no such thing as life without infection. That's like not a that's it's not, not a, a thing it's not a thing.
1: No. No, that's a terrible idea.
0: So anything we didn't talk about? I hit all the things on my list. Let me see. What else you have anything new coming out soon?
1: This piece and sleep. We're having a really hard time getting our booster piece saying that everyone and college students are worse off accepted but i don't know we'll we have to redo it we looked at a bunch of sewage but ali did some of the wastewater data and oh i thought
0: you were know, talking about david fishman's paper and cmaj <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and i, I don't, i've read different things about that data like that Mm-mm. it's not it's sort of a mess but um yeah. the communities that have more natural immunity as you would expect are yeah. not you know, seeing the big rise right now,
0: Yeah, and they're poor. And the question about whether or not Pax Levid dampens that data. Oh, the last thing to talk about, we were talking a little bit before, and I was saying that I think there are many COVID commenters, and not everyone's in the same bucket, and people have a huge range. Um, You know, so I think, you know, uh, moving from right to left, maybe, I I think about, you know, Scott Atlas, Jay Bhattacharya, Martin Kohlsdorf, they have a certain, you know, set of views. Um, and then, you know, Monica, uh, Jean Noble, uh, yourself, uh, me, um, Marty, Macri, uh, even Zubin um, um Who else am I forgetting? Poor
1: centrist,
0: Ally. uh Francois Ballot, uh mm-hmm. Stephane Marjorie. Baral, Marjorie. Um, so many different commenters have been very important. And I was thinking that one of the differences I feel amongst us is that like pre-COVID, I think many people never found themselves in the thick of controversy. Mm. So I think mm-hmm. like Jay, Martin Kuhlstorf, um, Monica—I don't think Monica ever had uh, gotten in any controversy—and yourself, not too much. No, 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 no public Quiet controversy. Church
1: mouse.
0: Yeah. Uh, whereas uh, me and Marty McCarry probably had gotten the most because uh, you know my cancer drug policy stuff. There mm. were always people. What was out,
1: Marty getting out to get for? me?
0: Um, I guess Marty was always about this value and overuse of medical care and medical care can be dangerous. Mm. And uh, I had to be perfectly honest. I once wrote an op-ed critical of Marty. <laughs> oh, really? That's yeah. Funny. And it was where Marty had a paper where um, the claim was that medical error was the third leading cause of death. Mm. And I have an op-ed in stat that's critical of that claim. Um, but you know, now that time has gone on uh, I see that the people who dislike Marty say, you know, oh, he was wrong about that. But, you know, it was a paper that made a guess. Um, and You
1: were saying that's too high?
0: No, I was just saying that, like, one cannot quantify it so easily. Like, to really pin it as a number, the the method he used was, I thought, not good enough to put it, to pin it. Uh. I just thought, like, we just, just don't know. Mm-hmm. I would say, that's my position. We just don't know, and the way he did it, like, could not have led you to know for certain. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now that I think about it years later... I feel like, well, you know, it was kind of important to draw attention to it, so he gets credit for that. Um, And, you know, this is always kind of a a work in progress, so maybe other people can try to improve it. But to be fair, no one has really quantified it any better. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's not an easy thing to quantify. I read a
1: whole book on this topic. Have you read that book? Which one? It's on medical errors.
0: The IOM report?
1: Um, It does quote from that report. It's called... Oh, I'll show it to you before you go. I I have it. And uh, I can't remember the guy's name right now, but... I mean, he puts the number very high and this was yeah, you know, 15 years
0: ago. Okay, here's why I think it's very difficult. Like um obviously if some obviously the potential for I mean, obviously one question is what is a medical error? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do things that are perfectly right mm-hmm. and bad things yeah, happen yeah. Re- nevertheless. I guess
1: he would say avoidable medical errors, which is maybe different.
0: Okay, so avoidable medical error I think would be like you know
1: Medication error. Medication error And things like, like that Surgical errors Surgical
0: errors um, Misdiagnosis But then the things okay. people Don't talk about is like Is the surgery even indicated Or you mm-hmm. know Does it even work Or those kinds mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. And then the next question I have is Like as you get closer to death The probability that Somebody's going to do something That tips you over Is higher So mm-hmm. you know yeah. Like if you have True. You know So is it the error That tipped you over the fact that you were Like literally sliding Down the ravine And then you mm-hmm. know You fell out okay, Anyway I just think it's a very tricky thing mm-hmm. Maybe a better way to do is it should be like how many disability adjusted life years lost are due to, um, uh, at the time it was made, uh, r- ir- correctable error. But
1: Yeah, that's a good point, because you can probably make a lot of errors in a 10 year old and they're gonna survive. Correct. Right. like, you, you could really do it A lot, and, yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> and I think there's, there's, there's a
0: lot of such uh, dark humor in the hospital that some people are indestructible, and despite a lot of errors, they do fine, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and some people are very vulnerable, and even perfect care, they're going to, you know, or mm. even a slight error, they're going to pass away. Anyway, mm-hmm. but put that aside. The point I was going to ask you was, I don't know, how does it feel to be somebody who has not been in the hot seat be in the hot seat? What's that experience like?
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't think I get as much grief as, like, you guys. Mm -hmm. Maybe because I'm not an MD.
0: I think it's because you don't tweet as much. You write op-eds and you don't tweet as much. much. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true. But I also think because I'm a DVM, it's kind of a mixed bag. Like, because I'm not seeing human patients, so they can't sort of say like, oh, you're poor patients, you're so incompetent. Like, they can't wage that one on me. And then vets are always strange. Like, I get annoyed because I feel like our degree is disrespected. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't get, you know, the... The level of respect that vets deserve um so that may be but it also probably means I don't get the same amount of criticism mm-hmm. and and then because I'm in Portland you know Portland is like super passive-aggressive I yeah. mean people don't like confront me right in my day-to-day yeah. life yeah like my colleagues don't
0: well nobody confronts me in my day-to-day life oh really never no only on social media where they can act like buffoons
1: Yeah, and I mean, I have like very few Twitter followers and things like that, so that's probably a lot of it. It's just I'm not really out there. I mean, occasionally, like, you know, I've written up quite a few pieces with Marjorie and Jean. We wrote that piece, The Case Against mass at school, which, I mean... I don't know. We could be deluding ourselves, but we think like really changed the conversation on masking. I'm yeah, it's important. Like, yeah, like it, you know, the New York Times quoted it, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, where people kind of felt like they could come out and say like, "Wow, the evidence is really not there." Right. And we were very um, dispassionate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember somebody tweeted the three psychos. <laughs> Me, Gene, and yeah. Marjorie, we were like, oh, yeah, that's us, the three psychos.
0: Well, so that was like the, in the Atlantic. That,
1: but yeah, that was in the Atlantic.
0: But, you know, a few months before I wrote that thing on masking kids in school, the Atlantic, and I then know, they yeah. bit my head off about yeah, it. But yeah, But they weren't, yeah. you know.
1: Well, and I think the Atlantic. They weren't ready for it. They weren't ready. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't ready Because you, I mean, you had said all that, and uh, David Zweig has said so so a said lot of it, too. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and the Atlantic, but, but you did a better
0: job of going through all the like CDC studies and undermining why they're all stupid they're flawed.
1: Yeah, we went through kind of pretty much every study, and then... And also the Atlantic stalled us so long because I think they knew that there was, like, they wanted Omicron to die down. They felt like if we released it in the height of Omicron, people would just be like, you're crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, which, I mean, it would have been fine in my opinion. But, um, so we kind of waited for that to pass. And then it caught this moment of, like, Omicron's on its way down. You know, is it time to revisit this? So even though other people had said it, it didn't really catch the same wave. As that piece did. In fact, we were laughing because Tucker Carlson did this whole segment on it. Oh, that's right. And he zoomed in on the piece and like our names. And, you the know, Three Psychos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's I was so like, ridiculous. oh no, Tucker Carlson's zooming uh-huh. in on my name. This is terrible. I'm going to be like, <laughs> drunk out of Portland. <laughs> What's happened to me? Yeah.
0: yeah. You'll have to move to. Trump-Pence country three miles away. Yeah, um,
1: but Lewis and Clark yeah. invited me to give a talk oh, oh, in, in the fall, yeah, on like being a public intellectual in this time.
0: That is great. And I was
1: like, am I a public
0: intellectual? Yes. Well, I don't
1: know. My mother thinks so. You are. She's very biased.
0: <laughs> I think you are and probably in, will be one of the most important public intellectuals of the pandemic when somebody yeah, actually tabulates you. these things.
1: Thank you. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I do think it's really, it's hard in that, you kinda know you're gonna get it from all sides, even though, like I said, because I'm not a big Twitter presence, I don't get some of it. But, um, I don't know, I think it's something, if more people were willing to try, it would be less hard on the rest of us. Ah, uh, exactly. You know, yeah, like, it's that's, not.
0: That's what I always say. It's that's not half that my bad. columns. yeah. Half my columns these days are you know, my sub stack is all about why so many people are silent and,
1: yeah, yeah, and you did us. a great one on how, like, you were like, what, are, all these people, like, this was your moment, where were you?
0: Yeah, where were you? you know? Where were you? All, I see all these people, they're like, I care most about early childhood development. Where the fuck were you? I mean, the one most, <laughs> the most important thing yeah. in your life, you say, your whole life goal was early childhood development, you said nothing about school closure, and what, you're trying to campaign to get 2% milk instead of 1% milk in school, you know, like, that's the level you're working on, mm. 2%, not 1% milk, you know, we're, we're fighting school closure, you know, they're... But I say one thing about the in person. Um, only like maybe five or six times in this pandemic has somebody I know like intrapersonally called me or wanted to talk to me face to face about one of my things mm-hmm. I've written or something like that. And,
1: um, and were they contentious?
0: They like they come in. They come. They came in trying to be con- like I disagree with you. You know, mm-hmm. I normally like you and respect with you. And every single time within fifteen to twenty minutes of just talking, they always say, "Well." I can tell that, you know, like, I know that you, like, you you read a lot before you come to your opinion, and Mm -hmm. I can't argue with, well, I guess I, I guess, oh, well, okay, well, you have a point, you know, and by the end of it, (laughs) you know, it's all this, like, because there's just something powerful, like, when you can persuade someone one-on-one, and then they know, people who know me, they know that I'm not, like, I don't enter a a question like this without having read, like, every single study I can, Mm -hmm. and, you know, usually, you know, so that also helps, and, you know, it's much easier to win yeah. these debates verbally. Yeah,
1: if people wanted to have one-on-one conversations, yeah. it would probably be way better. I mean, I, think I have it, lost a few friends. Really? Yeah. About school closures. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. i think. One of my friends said I live on white time.
0: Oh, gosh. Like, like you this.
1: want schools to open and it's too premature. This was, you know, back last year. I mean, the idea
0: that, like, white people... Are the ones benefiting from school reopening is flawed. It's poor and minority people are the ones benefiting more because, like everything else in life, school closure is an equalizer. It actually corrects for disparity. Mm. So I, I mean, hate Oregon that. has
1: a lot of poor white people, that's for sure.
0: Oh, well, yeah. It's so, in a pro white state. Before right, is it Oregon was founded on the yeah yeah Yeah, of, I mean,
1: and it's still, like, still I mean, ninety ninety percent white. So this, I mean, I completely agree with what you said. Yeah. But Oregon also happens to have a lot of low income mm. white people who really suffered from school closures, and we have like a huge addiction, as you know. I mean, having I think one in four. Or five children in Oregon lives in a home with an addicted adult. Yeah. So having those people home all day yeah, with an addicted adult... Is not a
0: good solution.
1: Very, very poor.
0: You know, you talk about you lost some friends. I I have not lost a single friend.
1: Because you were always, like, I think, out, not out there, but, like, your friends know that you are an opinionated person because opinions have a lot of wait behind them. Yeah, maybe. So if they didn't want to be friends fr- with that they person... They would have let go a long yeah, time ago. Like, I see. Yeah. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah, maybe that's I part mean, of it. I this isn't like... This is probably not a big transformation for you.
0: No. And I guess I also have few close friends. I mean, not few, but maybe 10 people, 20 people, something like that, my closest friends. Mm-hmm. and But I didn't lose any friends. And, and I guess I'm also surprised that like in the circles of people I travel with privately who don't say anything, they mostly agree.
1: Oh, interesting. Well, I have a ton of friends who are teachers. Oh, well, uh... I used to. Because... um why? Uh well I'll tell you one reason because my kids went through a Mandarin immersion program and in a lot of those parents have adopted mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. and a lot of people that adopt are teachers. I see. There's a very high number of adopt parents who adopt who are teachers, in my opinion. I've never seen any data on this, but just I can see it. Mm-hmm. I think it's because teachers <laughs> this is a completely unfounded hypothesis. But teachers see that genetics like aren't all that. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> <Totally on laughs> I say, I on a daily see, I see. basis. Yes. You know? so like they can open see word things. Yes. Open yes. To it. and also like very good hearted yes. people good-hearted who wanna make yes. a difference and, Which is want, why they and care about teaching. children, right? Yes, Which is right. why they went into teaching. So I'm not surprising that a lot of them adopt. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of friends who had adopted um, who happened to be teachers and you know some of them were like very angry at what they felt was the anti-teacher rhetoric and there was some I, I personally didn't um, ever say anything anti-teacher anti-teacher I was very very careful because I have a lot of friends who are teachers yeah. and I felt like it didn't really help the debate and my beef was with the union
0: correct me too
1: and they would say well the union is teachers no it's not yeah I mean it, to some extent sure those are its members but I don't think the rank and file were making correct. the decisions it's like
0: saying the AMA is doctors I mean they have their own agenda and we often doctors disagree
1: yeah. But yeah. So, but the teachers weren't like very happy. Sp- they weren't speaking up against the union. So, yeah. yeah. So, though some of the people who were most or sort of pro union were, you know, they, I think it was more like the circles I was running in than anything I no, was saying that, right, myself. Right. um So, you know,
0: and I guess most of my friends are doctors or curmudgeons. No, doctor. But a lot of doctors and doctors privately, I think, were like. Go, often going to work normally and mm-hmm. having no, you know a lot of normalcy in their lives, and they thought a lot of it was absurd.
1: Okay, question for you: Why didn't they say anything?
0: Oh, I guess I would say, I mean, um, the private practice people or the the either. Well, okay, I'll put them in a few buckets. I
1: mean, academic doctors. Yes,
0: be. so those are the group I have a problem with. Um, I mean, like my private practice friends, which is the most of people in medical school to private practice. The reason they don't say anything is they just—they're not active in circles that say yeah, anything. where would you right. be? Think. Right. Like anything. most of my friends, not on Facebook, not on Twitter. Um, I don't even think they're on—they're not on Instagram. They don't use any social media at all. Like,
1: really? Wow.
0: Yeah, because I guess we're a little bit older, and um, mm. and and they have no professional gain from it. They mm, just do their okay. job and come home and enjoy their stuff. You know. Um, so they don't do that, and they don't write op eds, and they may not have the knack for writing them. Mm-hmm. And then, so they just but you know, privately they would say what their opinion is, but they don't go out of their way to say publicly. Mm-hmm. But I think I was most troubled by the, the people who do write op eds and write mm-hmm. papers and are public and they're tweeting their you know why children should drink two percent milk instead of one percent milk, how we can save one thousand lives over the next fifty years, and they were silent on the school mm-hmm. closure. And I always put it in a few buckets like. One, they don't realize the importance of it, which mm. I doubt because you have to be kind of dropped on your head to not realize. Mm. Um, two, they, um, they don't think it's like a cause worth fighting for, which I think I, I also doubt because mm. the magnitude of, I know, the gain could be, so I doubt that. Mm. And then the third, I think, is the, the, the horrible third, but probably the true answer, which is that very quickly in somebody's academic career, they figure out that there are things you do that help your career and things you do that don't and, you know, peer-reviewing articles and volunteering your time to mentor, that doesn't. And teaching well and being a good doctor doesn't. But publishing papers and getting grants does. That's what gets you the invitations. And and writing about controversial things doesn't. And writing about topical things that people care about doesn't. And it'll hurt, maybe affect me from being dean in five years, you know, all these things that they aspire to. And I think most people kind of took the cowards. I mean, the reason I think it's so cowardice is like, I don't know, if you zoom back on like all of human history, you being be an academic at a university, whether you're Dean or not Dean, you know, you're in like the 99.99% of people who've ever lived on the earth, like in terms of comfort and happiness and freedom to think what you want to think. And for you to go from 99.999% to 99.998% by taking this stance and you're still not willing to do it. You know, yeah. it's like so, nar- I find it so narcissistic. Do you
1: think it will hurt your career? Oh, me? Mm-hmm.
0: I, I think, um, maybe I'll answer that off air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think the answer is, well, the short answer is, um, uh, I think it's, uh, absolutely in some senses, because there's like lots of things that people, um, you know, don't want to invite me to or, Mm -hmm. or thing because they are worried about some of this. Um, uh, but will it hurt in the long run? I doubt it. In fact, I think it'll go the other way. I mean, not that I'm doing it for my own sake. I just, Mm -hmm. my view of life was always when I started in the academy, I never set out to be a professor. You know, I was going to go private practice. And I was like, yeah, even when I was in, you know, Northwestern residency, which would, you know, um, but I was like, if you're going to be a professor, if you're going to be a professor, you have like a duty to yourself to like push on the issues that you think are important. And, you know, when you die, there's no one who's going to be able to know if you lived up to your own code. Like it's not up to you or anyone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Only I will know. And so I want to live up to my own code. So I'm a very principled person in that way. And so I had to do it, you know, irrespective of the consequences. But I suspect that the way it will go is the next year or two, maybe I'll continue to pay some penalty. And I think I've paid some penalty, which mm. I can tell you about offline.
1: <clears throat> um,
0: but in year five and six and seven, then I think the pendulum will swing all the way back and likely I will be on the right side. I mean, you know, mm. you and I are on the right side of all these issues. So
1: Yeah, I feel the same. I, I think in the near term, it probably does hurt me. Yeah, But... Eventually either when the consensus changes yeah. or enough people pretend that's what they thought all Correct. along, yes. that will eat stop yeah. or I'll go somewhere where the qualities that I care about are more rewarded. Mm. I mean I could just leave academia and yes. go work for, I don't know, a think tank or yes. you know, brownstone or something like that. I yes. mean there are people who will value those traits or the whatever. They might not be where I am right now, though.
0: I don't. Right. No. I wouldn't
1: say they don't necessarily. I mean, I'm not willing to make that call right right now. I
0: know. I'm, yeah, I'm exactly where you are. You never know, and uh, you got to go whichever way the wind is blowing. But you have to be true to yourself and say what you actually think. I think that's important. Leslie Bean, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for coming.